Welcome to Sundial. I'm Carlos Frias. If you've ever been stuck between languages, searching your bilingual brain for the right phrase, you'd appreciate the art of Tony Mendoza. Tony took the Cuban phrases he heard as a kid growing up in Miami and turned them into art. He painted a cow dancing on a hot skillet to illustrate baca frita, a traditional Cuban dish. He painted a Chinese rice container next to a bright orange mango, arrocomango, a Cuban way to say, this situation is a hot mess. His art reflects the mind of a person raised between cultures. An American kid raised by Cuban parents trying to make sense of South Florida. What does it mean to be Cuban-American? Tony has paintings for that. A stovetop Cuban coffee maker painted next to a Mr. Coffee. A can of Coke next to a Materva. South Florida culture juxtaposed. His art also evokes nostalgia. He's painted the little Havana of his childhood and the little Havana of today. Tony plucks culture out of the air so we can see it. So we plucked him out of his studio and brought him into ours. Welcome, Tony. Thank you, Carlos. <laughs> so um, it's so great to get to get you here because I feel like, and I was just saying this uh, before we got into it here, that I really I know you as an artist, and I've seen your art around Miami for you know over a decade, and and yet and we've gotten friendly in that way, but I've, I really have not known you as a, as a person beyond that. So I'm interested in knowing about your art and about you. Okay, cool. That's what I'm here for. Your art is, um, it's beautiful and it's colorful, but it's also like a way to understand something about culture, right? Uh, it's like taking a phrase that you grew up hearing and making it literal and like examining it, right? Well, uh, I've always seen things literally. So you might, you mentioned Baca Frida. So you think of vaca frita, you think of the dish. But I always thought of a cow on a frying pan. A fried cow. A whole cow, yeah, because it's vaca frita. Fried cow is the direct translation of that word. You mentioned the arrocomango, which is one of the most popular pieces I've ever done. Everybody in Miami seems to identify with it's a hot mess (laughs) in arrocomango. And for years I wanted to paint that, but rice is a boring... What is rice? Rice is just white... A bowl of white... Yeah, Yeah, a bowl of white rice. Until one day I'm eating Chinese food and I go, oh, wait a second. Everybody knows that in that container there's rice. So I did the, the, the fast food Chinese container with the mango on the side. And it's been one of the most popular because I can think everybody can identify with that situation where things aren't going right, especially in the office or at home or whatever. And uh, so I've always seen things literally. I think as an artist, you see things that other people don't see, and that's that's the point of it, is to capture something that people might be thinking, people might be feeling, but they don't see it, and you see it, and then people identify with it. And it makes me happy when people, I'll be at an art exhibit, and people are laughing out loud. Oh, that's and that makes me happy, feeling, right? because yeah, I, I, want, I want them to laugh. I want them to, to find joy in what I'm doing, which I'm trying to express the community I grew up with, the, uh, the city that I live in and, and it's all its different facets and, and intermingling of the Latin culture and the American culture. Like you said, I'm an American, I'm an American kid brought up by Cuban parents right. in a city that was, it's almost like a, I grew up in Little Havana in the 60s, 70s and 80s and it was almost like you were in Cuba. Uh, everything 
at home, right? At home, yeah, at but home. But then you and, went and, to school, and it was still very and that, American. Uh, you were in the United States at school, and you spoke in English, and you learned American history, and on television you saw American culture, and but at home and in the environment, because you know because you grew up here too, mm -hmm. that the doctor was Cuban, the accountant was Cuban. <laughs> the dentist was the Cuban. The dentist was Cuban. Everybody was Cuban, and sometimes it was somebody that my parents had known from Cuba who were here doing the, the same job, and they would take us. So you grew up with this, like you said, juxtaposition. Is mm -hmm. that the correct word? Uh, this dichotomy of, of two different, uh, sometimes very different cultures, and you have to mix them together. And that's what I'm trying to express in my art, in my work, is to show our community, which is a mixture of both. Right. You, we, I think we only feel totally comfortable in that, in that community, in that hyphenated community. Because if you go to Alabama, I don't know, Arkansas, and uh, you'll, you'll identify with the American aspect of it, but you'll miss the Cuban part of it. Now, if you go to Cuba, you of course you might identify with the language and the music mm -hmm. but you'll miss the american part of it right and and so that's what i'm trying to express in my work i i think people respond so strongly with it because it's like you said you there's this feeling or these words or phrases or culture that's kind of floating in the air and you grab it and you make it literal you bring it to something that you can see and behold exactly right like um you mentioned like those and especially as a kid as a as a kid growing up, you hear these phrases that you think of them in English first. Like, I'm thinking of ropa vieja, which is a dish, which is like a stewed uh, shredded beef dish in, exactly. in uh, Cuban households. But when I was a kid, the first time I heard that phrase, I thought of, like, tattered old clothes, That's which right. is what it means. So when my, when my tia said, I'm going to make ropa vieja tonight, I, I sat there quiet for a second then, and I said... Tia, a mí no me gusta la ropa sucia. <laughs> I don't like dirty clothes. <laughs> and I think that that's the beauty of the art. So it wasn't just old clothes, it was dirty clothes. Yeah, for some reason I was like, <laughs> they're old, they got to be dirty. Uh, you know, I, I made an association there. And and I, I think it's really curious what you said about going to, you know, you exhibit a lot, uh, especially like in, in local art shows. And, and you said about watching people's reactions. And I'm picturing these movie makers who sit in the back of the theater and watch people react and wait for the laugh or wait for the cry, wait for That's the right. emotion of it. What is that like for you to see that during, to, to watch people? Well, it, it, if I'm, if people are laughing and enjoying it and commenting and you know how, how we, how Cubans can be and they're very loud and they're, hey, mira esto, hey, mira. and I, it's total joy to me yeah. that people identify with what I'm doing and that they get happiness from it and joy from it, and that you're touching somebody, even if even if they don't purchase it, just them enjoying it and showing it to their friends or people coming back that they've bought several of them because they collect them and they bring other other people in to see them and they laugh again like it was the first time that they saw the vaca frita or la cajachina or el arroz con mango. Se come un cable, which is a an expression, a, a Cuban expression for when you're broke, when you have no money, you're eating a cable. Right. So always in my mind, I go, what is, why? <laughs> why are you eating a cable? Right. What, what does that have to do with being broke? Right. And it's, and it's funny because you, taking it out of context is what makes the piece of art really speak to exactly, you. Exactly. Exactly. That's what, that's the joke. Right. And sometimes people will come to me and say, and they'll describe a whole comic strip 
of things to describe a certain situation. And and I appreciate it because I I appreciate anybody if they feel involved and they feel ownership of my art, I love that. But sometimes that they don't I don't think they get it because you can't do a comic strip. It has to be something that what that's it that 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 one image captures the phrase the song i've done a lot of pieces on on music that i grew up you know you grow up like a willy chirino song uh, soy un hombre típico soy un tipo típico where, where he's talking about the beatles and celia Cruz and benny moray and the rolling stones mm -hmm. at the same time that's how i grew up right uh, like you grew up i'm sure uh, and so you grew up going to quince parties and and listening to the old danzones and the old uh, cha cha chas from Cuba, and at the same time, then you're dancing disco, you know, with the Bee Gees. Well, you were dancing disco. Me, yes, me. <laughs> I'm, I'm giving out my age now. <laughs> <laughs> you're dating yourself. Yes, but it's it, that's interesting because it's something that comes in without that sometimes comes in without context. Exactly. You know, and you see your your another generation enjoying this thing, and you don't, and they you know they don't necessarily explain the context to you exactly so in that struggle to understand that's where the art is exactly right. yes it's uh it's it's trying to show people what i'm feeling inside concerning the phrases the songs the music the community mm. the miami the the different uh, restaurants that i grew up with that no longer exist like la quinateja which was the famous it was made famous because ronald reagan had lunch there and of course, that was a big deal back in the 1980. It was a, a vindication of the Cuban community. The president visited the Cuban community. Right, like and, that, that was the first big, uh, like the first big connection uh, to the Cuban community exactly. in South Florida. Oh right? yeah, and, and that's and, that's like uh, that was right across the street from the old Orange Bowl, and it's like technically it those was on it right? was on 12th Avenue and Southwest First Street and Southwest First. Yeah, okay. near uh, Caddy Corner to the Firestone, mm -hmm. which is now the Walgreens. That whole area that uh, I did a painting showing that area, 12th Avenue and Flagler, because that, that's where we went to church. We went to church at San Boco, where not only did you go to church, but after school they would take you there and they would give you lessons in Cuban civics. In so Cuban you, civics? In at, Cuban civics. At, at, English, you, at an American you would, school, that's You great. would learn a Cuban history and Cuban uh, culture and and you know Jose Mati and poetry right there's a, there's an analogy to like a Hebrew school kind of like exactly you know, like that exactly. like you learn uh, you, all about your culture in yeah this they place. would pick you up after school we went to a public school Citrus Grove Elementary and then they would pick you up and take you to San Boca where you would you do your catechism for your first communion or yeah. or whatever and at the same time had lessons in Cuba because we were going back you know everybody was going to at least back in the 70s and in 60s this was just temporary so we it was like a, back one day. it was like hey if we're going to have these kids back in in cuba in 10 That's years right. we want them to not have lost their culture exactly and instead we built an entire culture here exactly in a foreign land you're right that's that, that's what i'm trying to get at that that giving us giving us that gift of 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 teaching us about the culture of our parents and our grandparents in the country that they left behind just added to our experience here with American culture and it, it made it unique. It's, I don't think that growing up, I knew how unique it was hmm. because when you're growing up in something, when you're in that environment, you don't, you're in that environment. So you don't see it from the outside. As you grow older, then you say, wait a minute. I grew up in a, in a really distinct, uh, 
not normal uh, area because like i said everything from the from the home country was brought was transplanted here and you would walk down the street and hear spanish and hear spanish music and hear spanish on the radio and your parents and your friends spoke spanish and and at the grocery store and at the church i didn't know what it was to pray in english right. i thought god spoke spanish <laughs> that's how i grew up our guest today is the artist tony mendoza his work tells the story of South Florida life and culture by painting its quirks. You know, you learn this, you learn about your culture, you know, on purpose, right? These, your folks raise you to these phrases that come out of context. And you as an American kid, an American-born kid, start thinking about these phrases later. But I'm curious, you have to get to that point where you pop outside the culture. Um, the funny part is you weren't really born, you weren't born in Miami, right? I was born in New York. And then, like all good Cubans, we lived in New Jersey, in Union City, for a while, and then we moved to Miami. Oh, that's that's little, little Havana. That's or <laughs> Havana on the Hudson is what they call it up there. Havana on the Hudson. Hudson yeah. But you don't have memories of that too Oh, much. yeah. You do? Oh, yeah. Oh, I remember. I think I, 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 on purpose, kept all those memories inside of me. I remember when I was a kid. But I also have family up there, so we visit. I visit New, New Jersey at least once every other year. Uh, and hang out there and I have family in in that in that not no longer in Union City but in the surrounding area and in New York also I have family in New York right your parents what did what did they do like when you got what brought you down to South Florida and what like what what was their livelihood like well my fa my father in Cuba my, my father was a Guajiro you know he was a a Cuban farmer yeah Cuban farmer he, yeah. he farmed tobacco mine too yeah my mother was a seamstress in Cuba a seamstress here in the United States mine too yeah get out of here yeah we're like brothers and um, they in New Jersey in Union City was the embroidery capital of the United States and he worked in an embroidery in a big factory mm -hmm. and he did well and then we moved down here for health reasons and he started working on his own he installed fences and that's what he did for most of most of his life right was, one of definitely those hustle jobs yeah oh yeah he yeah. was out on the street uh, he learned english uh a pata, uh, the cubans would say you the know, hard way the right? hard way and the, El street, golpe the hard knocks yeah right and uh and he yeah. made he he maintained our family we we never lacked for food or clothing or roof over our head my mom here though she was she sewed she was very creative. I think I get my creative part from my mom. Uh, I was curious about that because when you come with from a Wahido dad, they like I've said before, you know, my dad just wanted me to have a job where I oh, worked yeah. inside air conditioning. Like that was already you were <laughs> my already. My father didn't even ahead. care about that. He just wanted me to have a job. Right. <laughs> he didn't care if it was air conditioning or not. So your mom was a creative one. My mom was creative. She was when we were little kids. She would draw us pictures of life in Cuba, the Wahido. Uh, you know, the thatch hut that Wajiros lived in. Okay. Uh, the Wajira feeding the chickens. She would draw us that when we were very little kids to try to teach us about Cuba. She, later on in life, I tried to get her to draw again and she wouldn't. She, she had, that was those years that passed. But she was very creative. She could look at a dress and then go to the sewing machine and make that dress. Oh, wow. So She the, was very that, good. That So she wasn't just a technical seamstress. Like, she was able to envision Oh, she could, yeah. Forms. She would see, uh, she'd go to a department store and feel a dress and look at and look around it and, and come home and, and make that dress. She would make dresses for my sister. I think she made dresses for my wife. 
She made dresses for herself every weekend. They were going out somewhere. She'd make a new dress for herself. Right. And so she was very creative in that in that way. So she was a housewife and a seamstress. Uh, and so she she brought art into your life, but it's it it took you a while to get there to to create art, art on your own, right? Exactly. Well, I I I since I was a as long as long as I can remember, I was drawing. I loved to draw. I mean, I would on on paper bags on anything I could find. Sometimes on things that I wasn't supposed to be drawing on, I I'd get in trouble. <laughs> and uh, when I I graduated from high school, I went to Miami Dade College. And studied commercial art, which graphic design now. It's what you would call today graphic uh, design, Exactly, right? but because being the son of working class Cubans, there was no way I was. I'm going to be an artist. That was. It was uh, just not in the conversation. It was just not. It was just ridiculous. <laughs> so that that's tough too when you have this thing. You know, if if the situation around you, right? Like if you're, if you know, hey, if everybody can lean back, and I'm just going to be an artist for a while, and you have parents or a trust fund to support you, maybe you would have gone down that path yeah, earlier. No, but that, I, there was no trust fund. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you do balance that? Well, like this, I, I, this I studied commercial art. Mm -hmm. That's what I, I thought. You at that time, you there was a lot of careers in that. You, I mean, all the newspapers, mm -hmm. magazines, and so forth and so on. So I figured I'll I'll study something practical. I'll use the art, and in something practical, and but then life being the way it is, I started working in transportation, and I worked in transportation. For twenty years of my life. Wow! So a real like nine I, to five I, type nine, of nine to well, it was not it wasn't nine to five, but something like that. Right. Uh, I worked for the Florida East Coast Railroad, which is founded in Miami. Okay. And then I worked for a steamship line that no longer exists that was owned by the government of Puerto Rico, La Naviera de Puerto Rico. So very much like a like a you know a, a normal, very, a normal yeah normal straight corporate kind of straight job. And what was art in your life at this point? Well, in the background, like I mean, I. I'd draw on the spreadsheets. People would come into my office and tear the spreadsheets out and take them to their booth and put them up because I had spent the day screaming on the phone and drawing a, a cathedral. Oh, that's so funny. So really on this, on exactly. any kind of paperwork you found any, yourself. Anything, a meeting, if I'm in a meeting, I'm drawing on a pad. I used to work with big spreadsheets all day long with equipment, moving equipment around. If I was a logistics manager for a steamship line, so that I was sounds, moving. That sounds boring. That sounds. It, you know, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be a hundred percent honest. I loved what I did. Okay. I it, it was all day long. It was different, and you had to be creative because you had to move stuff and 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 find stuff and 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 haggle with truckers and customs and agriculture and 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 it, that part of it was fun. The paperwork part of it, I didn't care for. Sure. But the 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 actual. All day long haggling. I love that. And then that company ceased to exist. One day it just, it was no more. There you was went no to work one day and there was no, there was was no work to go to. the courthouse steps in Jacksonville. Wow. And I was out on the street. But by that time, I had reconnected with my artistic side. I had started doing paintings of houses in Little Havana. Well, paint for me the outside images of your life. So you're a, you're a working guy and you you have this very steady job wife and kids at this point yes and my uh, my wife lena or puchunga as the people on social media know her all right shout out to puchunga there you go <laughs> and i have uh, my son and my daughter daniel and sarah and yeah i had kids and, and a wife and, and a mortgage yeah and how old were you when this dried up all of a sudden 40. oh my god that couldn't have come at a worse possible it, time it supposedly right it it wasn't easy <laughs> 
I don't know if I would do it again the same way. But I said, it's now or never. And thank God, Puchunga was very supportive. And and she let me sow my, my wild oats, so to speak. How did you how did you sell that idea? In other words, well, what were you doing? Tell me about that. The painting just houses. Evo- I had started paint working on the on the house portraits of of houses in the Rovana. I'm a frustrated architect. I love <laughs> architecture, but I hate math. So <laughs> this way, I could do the houses and not worry if they're going to fall down or not. And so I started doing. I went back to my neighborhood. I went back to Little Havana, the neighborhood I grew up in, which is it has beautiful old homes from the. 1920s and 1930s. This Mediterranean style. This Mediterranean, Art Deco, mm-hmm. yeah, bungalows. You're right. And I started, I did a whole series of paintings of these houses. Was your style already developed in the way that it is now? You know, it's, it's. I thought that I was painting these houses the way they looked. And then my brother, one day says, your houses look cartoony. And they are cartoony. And I, and, and instead of, I, at first, I was kind of shocked. I go, I don't want them to be cartoony. I want them to be like a real house. But with time and, and the appreciation of people who like my art, I realized they should be cartoony because that's the way I see them. That's the way I see the world, cartoony. So uh, you, you kind of leaned into that, that kind of exactly. that impressionistic uh, and, and that was very freeing when I said, I'm going to paint them the way I see them and not worry too much if this little detail is great. Because again, I don't have to worry if the house is going to fall down. It's, you know, the house is standing. <laughs> this is a good lesson for kids who want to be architects. Kids like my youngest. <laughs> oh, does she? Yeah, she, oh, she, God bless but her. she's a great, she's great at math too. Oh, so. well then she's we'll got see. It, she's got it made in the shade. Uh, maybe. I we'll was see. never good at math. And so you, you're, you're doing this thing that be, is, becomes a side hustle where you're painting things. When do you step outside that from the kind of commercial thing to a little bit more, having a little bit more playful? Well, we fun. started the first which is a great institution to, for artists to be aware of, is Viene Culturale, the Cultural Fridays in Little Havana. And they gave an opportunity. So I went with my paintings and to their office and I says, I want to exhibit. And they liked it. They said, this is great. There was validation in that. And, and I started exhibiting on Calle Ocho doing Viene Culturale. And it's like, that's a perfect venue for what you were doing. Exactly. That was your neighborhood. Exactly. It was where I grew up. So I connected again with with the business owners and the public in Little Havana with the house portraits. But as I'm I'm showing my work in Little Havana and and interacting with Little Havana, I said, wait a second, it's just not the houses. We have the La Tabaquera and La Botanica. And La Bodeguita, we have all these things that are distinct to for, South Florida. To South Florida, right? So to I Miami, started really to exactly to Little Havana. To Little Havana, right. exactly. So I started, then I started branching out, taking my art not just to the house portraits, but uh, incorporating the businesses and and restaurants and and uh, churches hmm. of Little Havana, and that's where it kind of the whole that's where it kind of took off. Right. That's where I started. Then your mind starts seeing things that you had forgotten or that you hadn't thought about in many years. And um, that's where the, the music, the phrases. I did a painting uh, that was many years ago of, of Viene Santo. 
how we were I was discussing with a friend how Viernes Santo or Good Friday was mm -hmm. when I was a kid and it was a very holy day and you couldn't play and you couldn't eat meat, you couldn't listen to music, you wouldn't watch TV. You <laughs> the most oppressive day for a little exactly. kid. Exactly. Right? It was a very right. and everybody was forced to be mournful that day. And I painted a painting showing the bored kids, the ladies going to church with the with, dressed in black, which when I was a kid, all old ladies dressed in black, and the <laughs> rosary beads, and my mom in the window making a bacalao, the, the codfish, which was traditional on that day, which I did not like. And, and that painting resonated. It didn't only resonate with people who grew up in Little Havana. It resonated with anybody who grew up in a Latin Catholic uh, home uh, remembering that very day, you know, whether they were Central American or South American, or they grew up in Hialeah, or they grew up in in Union City, they remember those 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 facets of life. So that's when I started expressing my these ideas in my art. You began to really comment on exactly. culture for that's the first time. That's a good way time. of putting it. And what was the reaction? Those first reactions. Oh, it was it was it, well. Thank God to the reaction, I continued doing it because if this if, if people had not reacted positively, I would we wouldn't be here talking. I would have gone back to work in an office somewhere doing whatever I was doing before. It, the reaction people they they there's a lot of artists here that have come from Cuba and from Latin America, but mm -hmm. Cuba specifically to what we're discussing, mm -hmm. and they paint beautiful paintings of Cuba. Boillos and flamboyanes in the mountains and in Havana and the, and I like doing that too. But that's not that's not where I grew up. I grew up here, and I go well, there isn't that much art of here of Miami of showing Miami. It's distinct and it's colorful and and it's beautiful and and I want to show it and it's got it's got personality. It's got life. I want to show that and that's and, and that people identify with that. People identify that I have clients that order artwork from me from all over the country, and and the common denominator is that they they're from Miami and they're homesick, and they and they identify with my work whether they're in Chicago or San Francisco or New York. They identify with my artwork because it touches them, and that makes me feel good. It makes me feel good that that I'm communicating with my fellow Miamians, no matter where they are. Our guest today is the artist Tony Mendoza. He's a Cuban-American from Miami who thinks pastelitos are worthy of a portrait. And I think that's at the heart. The heart, I think, of your work is you developing your voice into grabbing what's culturally relevant like that, what's responding to someone, uh, seeing your work. You know, in other words, you comment on something culturally, they respond to it, and you, like, leaned into that, right? Yes, um, you created then then you start going down this rabbit hole right yeah. tell me about um, creating like digging further into that like where you start making these literal these phrases that you hear into something literal well the first I don't know if it was the first one was was uh, with uh, coffee I drink a lot of coffee and uh, I wanted to exp I wanted to show a cafe con leche where the leche and the cafe are combining and flowing into a cup. So I did the Cuban coffee pot and a bottle of milk and they're they're all kind of interwining. And but like the I streams, the streams the are kind streams of crossing into the cup. Intermingle. Right. And then there was uh, cafe con leche, cortadito and uh, colada. 
So I did the cortadito with the scissor cutting the cup. And that's, I think, the first one, the first painting I did of an idiom, uh, a little expression of an idiom, was that one, cafe, cafe, uh, cortadito with a, with a cut. With a pair scissors, of scissors cutting, cutting, cutting a cup. coffee cup. Right. And, and then it started evolving. Then once you go, you said a rabbit hole. Once you go down that rabbit hole, then you start seeing it everywhere. You, you start seeing it. Oh, interesting. With the, the Robavia has a old clothes hanging on a, on, a, on a line. And that was a painting, too, of the exactly. old clothes hanging on a line. And uh, Medianoche, which is a sandwich with a clock in it showing midnight. And um, so forth and so on. And then music and poetry and, and sayings. Like we talked about, or oh, I did the Arroco Mango was one that I had wanted to do, and I did that. And then along with Arroco Mango, it had a, a another piece that was kind of related, which was a, a camel in the desert with a Coca Cola uh, for the expression "La última Coca Cola en el desierto," the last Coke in the desert. And that had a lot of resonance with because people can identify with that. And that in in right because that's a saying in in Cuban Spanish. Exactly, that's, you're not. When somebody thinks they're all that, I'm a, you're not the last Coke in the desert. I mean, you're, there's more. Right, like all that in a bag of chips. And exactly. Like, right, right. Exactly. Oh, that's and interesting. And people identify with that. And, and in fact, that painting, I had someone ask me if I had been to Egypt. And I go, no, I haven't been to Egypt. Because it's a, it's a camel. the camel painted in the desert. Right? A <laughs> Coke in a, in a pyramid. Right. In the background. It's actually the, the cover for camel cigarettes that had that little camel and the and little you, pyramids. You know what strikes me is is we had someone kind of tweet at us earlier. Um, a, a, she's, a, she's like a, a young writer. I think she's in her 20s. And it was a picture, a, a couple of your pieces of art hanging in her space. And I'm thinking, how interesting that your art is a way to pass these phrases down to a whole other generation who, who didn't grow up with them that way. That's Well, but they remember their grandmother mm. or their mother or their father. Because I get that all the time. <laughs> I see people... You know, in their twenties, and and I go, how do they know? How 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 would they know this? But they heard their grandmother, or they heard their grandfather, and they'll laugh, and 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 they, and they identify with it, and and they want to have it as part of, they want to show it to their kids also. I'm curious, um, and and I'm always curious about this. When you have such success in this, I know that you get like the, like especially like the Coke and the Matera, right? Like the the American drink, Cuban the American. Cuban drink. You must get requests all the time, and you've created this one thing. How do you keep from getting, um, in other words, literally going back and painting the same thing over and over, and then you know allowing yourself to open into new places? Well, the I, I issue reproductions, is issue series of reproductions. So, like, if you want that, you can get it reproduced. But, exactly. But artistically, you want to go somewhere else. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Yeah, it, it's some things. It's very hard to paint something that you already painted. At least, I'm sorry, for me, mm -hmm. the the exact copy of something you painted. Because it's it's not exciting to do the same thing over again. Now, that theme, that Cuban American theme, where you have, uh, like you said, the Mateba and the Coca Cola. Have another one with the Starbucks and Butelo, and uh, and also with a with a different coffee pot, uh, like you had mentioned, the Italian coffee maker, mm -hmm. and then the American uh, coffee maker. Right. And that's the Cuban American. That's again life on the hyphen. That Cuban American. That really connected with people. Exactly. Oh no, that was that was phenomenal. And it continues to. I would oh imagine. yeah, people, and some people take it. Not I, I was doing it as a hyphenated culture that I grew up in, but some people take it. 
they're American and they're married to a Cuban or they're Cuban and married to American. And and so they so they purchase it a reproduction because the originals have all sold. They purchase it because it, it identifies their family or they're Cuban, but their kids are American. So they see they read different things into the painting than what I had in mind in, in at the first place. How do you think um, that your that your art has changed over the years? Like so, you have those moments, those epiphanies, where you start seeing things differently. How does that? What did that open up for you? In other words, what what did that open up next for you? Well, it makes you more free. Hmm. It it frees you up to notice things and 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 to take a risk painting something that maybe a few years ago you wouldn't have done it because you think well it's not going to have appeal. I've learned that when you have a good idea and you put it on canvas, eventually someone's going to identify with it. And so it, I, before I was a, more, a little bit more nervous and I wanted to make sure that I, that I did what was successful. I did this, this was successful, then I'll, I'll, do, I'll do it with a little variation and it'll be just as successful. But uh, as time goes by, you start experimenting a little bit more and... Um, and taking a little bit more of a risk with certain subject matters that you hadn't done before. Were, were, there, were there people in your life that helped you learn to trust yourself? In other words, you know, your, your mom, did she, was she, did she living or did she get My to see something? My mom passed, but she passed uh, about 12 years ago. Uh, oh, my mom, well, she was a Cuban mom. I mean, she was just... She was proud no matter what she did. Uh, yeah, you, she, she would brag to everybody. My, I had just started out, and she was bragging to, "Oh, my son's an artist. Uh, do you know my son?" You know, <laughs> she was funny that way. Uh, she, yeah, she gave. I I would say she did. She 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 trusted that I knew what I was doing, and uh, and supported it. And uh, and my wife again, she was very supportive. Uh, without her support, I couldn't have done this in any way. What, what about your dad who had such a straight laced you know such a, a a very a very literal type of job you know like yeah my uh, dad again by the time I was 40 years old when I started doing this so I had I guess proven myself that I'm a hard worker and I can buy a house and support a family wow you had to prove yourself to yeah, age 40 I, before I, you could exactly exactly <laughs> my father was very my fact to help he fact he in fact he helped me with some of the murals your dad helped you paint yeah the murals. well he 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 made measuring boards and and he came out and measured this and 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 he would contribute his, his his whatever knowledge he had that was useful he would contribute it and what was that like for you to be able to work on something like that with your dad oh yeah it was great it was fantastic and with my brother also my brother was an artist my brother also passed away he was an artist and he helped me I did some murals for the school board. There was a there was a beautiful mural that you had painted uh, at at iPrep. I guess yes. is a school uh, adjacent Just to the school board building that we're basically in. I mean, it's it's across the street. Exactly. And uh, and that was there for like a decade, right? Exactly. It you was, were really proud of that. It's still your I, cover art on in on yes. Facebook. Oh yeah, that was a, a big accomplishment. It was I mean a whole block on Biscayne Boulevard, and it 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 was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. That took two months to paint. Wow. And like I said, my brother helped me out with that, so it was good. It was nice to work with my brother. Your brother was a painter, also. My brother was an artist, also. Yes. What What did What was his interest? Like, where was if you had to describe his art and what he was interested? Wow, in? he had 
he did a series of paintings on movie stars. He was very good. And I it's it it saddens me that I cannot find them. I don't know where they went. I don't know. I know either somebody bought them or they were at a store. And after he passed away, I've been desperately looking for them. But he had like Mae West, W.C. Fields, Marilyn Monroe, and black and white. And uh, he was very creative. My brother was a very creative person. Uh, what was his name? Alex. Alex Mendoza. Alex Mendoza. Well, if there's any Alex Mendoza art original oh, please, owners yes, out there. Yes, if anybody has knows where they are, I'm desperate. That must have been special to you to be able to create something with your brother and your dad. You know, there's this generational thing. That there must have been something for him to see his son be able to do something creative, like to remind him of, of his yes. wife, of your mom, you know, and but that is also uniquely yours, something new into the universe. Yes. I can't speak for him, but it, it meant a lot to me. And he was always, my father, whatever you needed, he, he was there. I mean, uh, you needed something done in your house, he was there. Even if you didn't need it done, he would go and do it. And so when he knew that I, I was working on those murals, mm -hmm. and he says, well, I wonder if you do this, if I measure this out this way on a board, then you can just measure it out yourself. And, and, he, and he, he volunteered to work. And I cut out, big cut out uh, matrix. How do you call that? Uh, like basically so you could set something up on a large exactly, scale, paint exactly. on a large scale. And he helped me cut those out and... And he was all excited about it. And he would call me every time that Heat game was on because he was watching the Heat game. And they would pan to the mural. I guess they would do like a panning of the arch center and, and the mural. He, Oye, tu mural está en el televisión. <laughs> and he was very, you know, it was, it was, and it felt good to, be, to have your dad proud of you about something. Your art also strikes me as it's hyper-local. Oh, yeah. So do you think that people don't understand it or do you think they understand something about Miami when they come from out of town? Either either they're, they're relating to it because they're visiting Miami and they're, and they're partaking in the culture of Miami and so my work is very, like you said, Miami-centric. Or they just appreciate the work for what it, for what it is mm -hmm. and, and where it doesn't have any relation. They, they look at a painting of of the cow on the frying pan. <laughs> and it's just funny to them, the cow on a frying pan, whether they relate that it's a dish or not. And, uh, or I've done paintings of, uh, of South Beach, of the Art Deco buildings. Mm -hmm. And of course, that's, that's almost universal now as a symbol of the city. And people can relate to that because they either visit it or they've seen it on TV, they've seen it in movies. And so they relate to it in that way. You know what's inter interesting to me is that you know, Wynwood gets a lot of attention as being the artist district, you know, and now, I mean, now it's not even really that. It's really like, a, it's a tourist kind of Disneyland, and even though there are some hot, very high-end galleries oh, there. Oh, yeah. But you've painted for years in the Bird Road Arts the District, The Bird Road right? Art District. Which is like this little hidden um, road that's kind of on this uh, this swervy road uh, across from the Palmetto and south of Bird Road. It's, it's, it's the area south of Bird Road, east of the Palmetto, and west of Milam Dario, 72nd Avenue. Right. And it's a warehouse district full of uh, body shops and uh, furniture repair. and, and That feels like an arts district. It is. It yeah. is. And we hopefully, we hope it stays that way, that there's a, a combination of, uh, of different businesses there. I think we just ruined it by talking about I it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, the, the two-edged sword. 
What what is interesting to you about that? About being able to to paint and create in a place that maybe community. Oh, community means everything to an artist. You have uh, printmakers, photographers, other artists, muralists, stained glass designers, all again mixed in with body shops and and uh, and pool supplies. And uh, <laughs> it, it the guy the the person who does my reproductions is in that neighborhood. So when I need when I need a reproduction done of something, I just go down a few blocks and he's there. And uh, framers, they have uh, frame shops are there. And uh, so it's, and plus, there's just a community of artists. Right, so art, artists inspire each other. Exactly. And then, exactly. And then like uh, uh, those, those specific uh, fields, like those print shops, help you produce exactly. your work and that kind of thing. Exactly, the frame shops, the print shops. And, but more important is the community of artists right. that, because uh, it could be lonely. You're, you're by yourself. You actually, even if you're surrounded by people, if you're working on, on a painting, you're working by, you're by yourself. So it's good that someone can come by during the middle of the day, have un cafecito and, and help you with, you know, uh, Hey, what do you think I should do with this? Or what do you think about this color? And they say, well, maybe you should do that. And then they'll go off and talk about uh, Dali or Picasso or something <laughs> as part of the conversation. And you have a nice afternoon there where you've refreshed yourself and you can go back to work. It keeps you creative. Oh, yes. Well, your work has that effect on people. I think whether you know whether they're working uh, in their office alone, that they can turn around and see a piece of your work. Like, like let's say, like this piece that I'm bringing out for you to look at right now. Uh, <laughs> one of the first things when I started working here, uh, you sent this beautiful... Uh, drawing of a woman sitting, standing, uh, of a ventanita waitress sitting at our Cuban coffee windows, uh, and it says La Ventanita. Um, can you tell me a little bit of the story, the backstory well, of this? La I remember you had the, the podcast La Ventanita, and from the moment that I heard you say that, and we had discussed about cafe before, we had had, we had, had the pleasure of sitting down and having a cup of coffee, and I kept thinking about you every time I heard your voice, I go, oh, la ventanita, la ventanita. I gotta do a ventanita for him, and then th that was it. Uh, well, it's beautiful. It hangs in our office, and I'll share a story real quickly. For me, uh, I wrote this whole series, or, or I wrote this this story about the history of la ventanitas. I spent a couple months uh, digging into it, and it was important for me because in those few months, it was after my father had been killed, and uh, and that writing that story, my dad had been a cafe owner in Cuba. It let me kind of grieve through the storytelling of that. And it struck me that if maybe a few months later or maybe even a year later, you did this, like a, a series of paintings on that corner uh, of what was the original, the original Ventanita was on that, what was the original Little Havana, which was really Flagler. Flagler and, and 12th. And 12th. That was the heart of it. And it, it has since moved south. But uh, it always struck me that, that that was a connection there, that that you you painted that, it inspired you to paint that, that corner of, of that, that was like I said we used to go to San Boca which is right on the on 13th and, and Flagler and that corner was uh, like uh, La Tijera Oso Blanco which is where you I think the original Ventanita was the that original Ventanita. Oso Blanco mm -hmm. and uh, all these stores that were uh, San Bernardo ice cream and we would go to church and then go and do grocery shopping have ice cream eat at the Havana Miami restaurant that was on the corner, and I that all disappeared. And I think it was seventy six. Yeah, there was a big fire. Burned down. There was a mysterious fire. A mysterious <laughs> fire, which I 
We're not, we'll leave it at that. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, I don't want to have to think about it when I get in my car. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, but I mean that. So you capture a piece of of history, you exactly, know, with with your art, and that particular piece caught people's attention. Oh yes, that people cry. Some people, they have uh, when they saw the original or when they bought the reproductions. I have a lady who. Every day would go to Riverside Elementary, which was a few blocks from there. Mm-hmm. And when she would leave the elementary school, she would go and sit at the Havana Miami restaurant because her grandfather was a sandwich maker there. And she would go and sit at the counter and make and do her homework as her grandfather was making Cuban sandwiches. He would make her a Cuban sandwich for lunch. She'd have that in a chocolate shake or whatever. And when she saw the painting, she started, wait a second, this is my grandfather. And she started crying because it brings back tender memories for her and it does for me because that was a very special corner growing up and like you said it was it was at that time that was the heart of little havana and later became more of a caiocho but but at that time into the fire and then after the fire it was never the same again right. i'm curious what interests you now um you know you you this entryway into into studying you know these um these these aphorisms, these sayings, and turn them into literal. It kind of opened a gateway for you. What are, what kind of things are interesting to you now to interpret? I have been working on little by little, and hopefully soon I'll be they'll be manifested. A series on bodegas, hmm. bodegas in Miami, and bodegas in New York, and bodegas in New Jersey, because bodegas, uh, especially down here, are disappearing. Yeah, it's all if Trader have, Joe's and Publix now. Exactly. Or Sedanos and Presidente. Uh, and the same thing is mm-hmm. happening in New York. A lot of the bodegas are no longer owned by Hispanics. They're owned by Koreans or or Syrians or Yemenis for some reason. The new, the new immigrants coming exactly. in and, and they're looking taking for over, foothold. Right. They're taking over. And, and I was remember I was in New York. I go to New York and I'll go looking for them to take pictures of them to find the ones that, that visually interest me. And... Um, I've been told by one of the somebody was guiding me through the Bronx, and he's telling me that oh the Dominicans are the ones that own the bodegas, but they don't own bodegas anymore. Now they own supermarkets. Hmm. They they've moved up, and and, <laughs> and and the bodegas are owned by Yemenis or some other new immigrant group. And I want to try to capture that before it disappears completely, because I, that was the especially up north for some reason. Yes, the idea of this little tropical little corner full of tropical fruit and tropical aromas and in, in a cold, you know, distant north and where people can connect with each other and, and feel at home. It, it, and the same thing in Miami. That was where your grandparents went to shop at the corner because they didn't drive. So they went to the corner and they're in Miami. Now everybody drives and, and they, you said they go to Publix or Trader Joe's. So they're in Miami, they're desperately disappearing. So I'm trying to capture and, and portray them before they all go away. Well, Tony, I think you're doing a, a marvelous job of it, and uh, I appreciate you coming in and spending Thank the time with you. Thank you for inviting me. It was my my extreme pleasure. It was great having you. Thank you, Tony. Thank you. Our guest today was the artist Tony Mendoza. His work tells the story of South Florida life and culture, and he does it by painting its quirks. And that's Sundown for Tuesday, July 25th. Leslie Ovalle Atkinson is our lead producer. Elisa Baena is our producer and social media editor. Helen Acevedo helped produce the show. Sergio Bustos is WLRN's VP of News, and Katie Munoz is our director of live programming. Peter J. Mertz is WLRN's vice president of radio and Sundial's engineer. 
Engineering our board today is Richard Ives. Our theme music is by the Miami Afro-Cuban funk band Palo at gopalo.com. You can download a podcast of this program. Just search for WLRN Sundial on your podcast app. Coming up tomorrow on the program, a Miami native couldn't find a media platform that spoke to her as a Latina, so she created her own. Marivette Navarrete is the founder of The Mujerista. It's an online resource for Latinas in every industry. I'm Carlos Frias. Good vibes only. Public Media.